participating in the life of legacy in ways that the Baird household thinks is very important. Um, you've heard me teach for years that everybody needs a pastor. Amen? Sure, we all need the Lord. We all need God and His work in our life. But I believe that He has designed things in order that we could have people in our life that could speak to us, obviously encourage us, instruct us. Uh, but we need sometimes reproof, rebuke, a little correction here and there. And uh, that's a good thing. And so we all need it, even when you're a pastor. And so we designed Legacy at its very inception to have a group of people that would give oversight to uh, your pastors and bring covering even to the local church. You know, we're, we're an independent, spirit-filled uh, local church. We flow in what people have called Pentecostal, charismatic type understanding. And all of that's good and in, in, in order. But just because you're an independent, autonomous church doesn't mean you have to act independent. You're really interdependent and you need to be connected somewhere. And we're connected as a local church and we're connected as a people and we're connected as pastors. Um, we participate in uh, really two fellowships in some regards. Uh, for years I participated, and many of you know, in Evangel Fellowship International. And uh, I worked for Pastor Houston Miles and... He has a very, very special place in my heart and in my life. He opened up doors for ministry to me that uh, were just incredible. And uh, his legacy in my life is that rarely a month doesn't go by that I don't mention his name and many of the things that he taught me and that I've learned. He's reaching the place in his life where that uh, he's getting of age and things are transitioning. And whenever there's transition, it causes you to ask, okay, Lord, where am I going to be? Who's going to be my pastor? Who's going to be the one I'm connecting to? And so a couple years ago, Tracy and I began to really press in. We pressed into the Lord. We, we sought God and prayed and said, Lord, who are the people that you want to bring to our life? Who are the ones that you are wanting us to be connected with? And not just fair weather connections, but stormy weather connections and, and good times and difficult times and when we're doing real well and when we're struggling a whole lot. And so uh, we began to go to Bethany, Bethany World Prayer Center. And it was there, as many of you know, we ran into the heart of God, I believe, through the principle of 12. And we began to train people and disciple people and reach out and we also began to start cells, connect groups, we call them, and make sure people could develop relationship. And all sorts of good things came out of that relationship with Bethany. And as we began to attend conferences more and more, we began to meet many of the people. We found out at one of those conferences that there was actually a, a group of ministers there that gathered together that had really the same kind of heart to reach the harvest, to do some things globally, to reach the world as well as to disciple people to get serious about the cross and the declaration and proclamation of the full gospel. And uh, as we began to just greet people, meet people, fellowship with people, our hearts just became more full and more full. And we looked at each other and said, we, we're finding our tribe right here. This is where we want to dwell. This is where we want to be a part of. And so we continued to pray. And one of the people we met from afar were the Dakotis. And what I mean by that is, is that Van was teaching at one of those conferences. It may, it may have been a nuts and bolts conference. But he was teaching and just sharing on life in a local church. And so much of what he said resonated with our experiences and a lot of the things 
that we had experienced. And so uh, we introduced ourselves and we met the Dakotis. And I'm sure we were just one of many, many people that they have met through the years. But Tracy and I went away and we said, you know, we like those folk. Uh, there's something about them. They, they, they uh, walk with some character and they've got integrity. And everything we hear about them is a, is a good report. And we just like them. There's just something. And it was even more than because we hadn't talked very much. It was just a thing that we would have said was by the Spirit. And so um, we just decided we were going to pursue a relationship. Now, I don't know whether they wanted a relationship or not. But Trace and I just decided we were going to pursue it. And I remember years ago, Mike Murdoch said this. He said, you have no right to anything that you have not pursued. I want to say that again. You have no right to anything you have not pursued. Don't think you have a right to God working in your life unless you pursued him. Don't you think that you're just entitled in the kingdom of God just because you're all that? You've got to pursue some things. And you know, even the Bible says that if you want a friend, show yourself friendly. So if, if you want a friend in your life, you've got to pursue some friendships. So we just decided we were going to pursue them. I don't know if they liked it or not, but we pursued them. And praise God, I think they're liking it. And, and I'm glad they've come now a couple of times. They were here not long ago, maybe a year ago now, time flies, on a Wednesday night, shared with the folks that were here. But we wanted to be sure they were back on a Sunday morning so you could meet, greet, and hear these people. It, they're, they, they're on an apostolic council here that primarily input Tracy and myself. They become our covering. If one day I just get a brain cramp and do something exceedingly stupid, if, if anybody were to say, well, what do you do with pastor? Well, the Dakotis would be one of the people you would call and say, pastor got a brain cramp. What do we do? And they'll, they'll come in and deal with me. Isn't that good just to be connected? And, and you, know what, you know what else is good about that? Is when you feel good about who's going to do that in your life. So it's a beginning of a journey. And we're glad they're here. They pastor a great church. We, we were able to worship coming back from Baton Rouge one time at Northwood Christian Center. It's a great, large work. And they're building now a, a new daycare. And they've got a satellite church in a, an, another town. I don't know all the towns. Wigginsville, is that it? Wigginsville? Wiggins. It, South Carolina, we put Ville on the everything. You know, Greenville, you know. So anyway, uh, but just doing a great, great work. These are quality people. And I want you to begin to love them because you're going to see them uh, hopefully at least once a year, but maybe more than that. Who knows how God will work all that out. But Van Dakota, Pastor Van is here. His lovely wife Jan is with him as well. But we're going to honor people in the house of God here at Legacy. So would you join with me and let's give them just a great big Legacy welcome and put our hands together and say God bless you. Pastor Van, come on up. You take your liberty. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Am I on? I'm on. Okay. Well, I guess I'm the guy that he was talking about. I'm feeling pretty good about myself now. But uh, we are excited to be here, honestly, and and. As Pastor Kevin said, it's, I believe it's a God thing that we've been put together. And, uh, you know, I want to say this, that you don't have anything to be threatened about over Jan and me. Because we're just regular folks, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I've got people over me and have all through my ministry that have really protected me and encouraged me and, 
and I like to do the same to others. And uh, it's nothing that we decided one day we'd like to just maybe help oversee some pastors. God develops things, and he brings it about in his own timing, and uh, I guess this is God's timing. So we're excited to be here. Uh, we enjoyed being here last time on a Wednesday night and, uh, and hope that this thing will take off, praise God, this relationship. And it was, it was good to be pursued by somebody. It is good to be wanted and needed and cared about and liked. How many of you like to be liked? I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't like to be liked and feel like you have some worth in your life. And, uh, you know, part of that is, is my wife. And uh, I wanted to introduce her because we've been together now, married 36 years, but we've actually been hanging out together for 40 years already. And uh, I, know, I know we got married when we were three years old, uh, but uh, actually we knew each other when we were like two and three years old. We'd play together, but we didn't know it. Our aunts were very close friends, and her grandmother and my, her great-grandmother and my grandmother lived very close together, and so they would babysit us and we'd play together. So we've been kind of together our whole life. And, uh, and that's good. Amen? That's good. So, Jan, I want you to stand up and just at least turn around and let the people see. You are the prettiest woman in this building, of course. Amen? And uh, we've got three wonderful children, all married and gone. And, uh, and we've got three great children. Uh, I call them kid-in-laws, you know. What do you call it? Our kid-in-laws. Uh, two sons and one daughter. And, uh, you know, they're regular guys. She's Mexican, actually, from Mexican descent. So she cooks us up all this wonderful Mexican food. And, uh, of course, not the way she cooks it. She cooks it so hot that, I tell you, when you start eating on that stuff, I made the mistake one time. Her aunt brought me some enchiladas. I know, tamales in my office. One day and said, if you get a chance, try one. So I'm in my office all by myself and... You know, they wrapped up in this little tin foil and looked so good. I said, let me try one. I didn't have any water or anything there at my desk. And I unrolled one, took a big old bite off of it and, and began to eat. And I tell you what, man, I, fire come out of my eyes. And I ran and I had to drink water out of the lavatory of the bathroom. It was horrible, man. But we love her and, and we're happy. We've got one granddaughter, uh, seven years old, and she knows it. And uh, she's just a great, great joy in our life. And we are happy people. We are living for God and pastoring God's people, and we are excited about that and glad we're saved and amazed every day that Jesus would love us so much that he would change us the way he did. So praise God. Uh, we are excited about your fifth year anniversary, and, and why not go for 15, huh? And, and why not just let the Lord just expand this work and, and, and go ahead and touch people's lives for Jesus? You know, this is a great church, a wonderful spirit and anointing in the worship. And, you, you know, when I feel the presence of the Lord, I figure it this way. I'm kind of simple. If the Lord is here, he must like what's going on. Very simple. So as long as the anointing of the presence of the Lord is in a place with, God, with his people, then something is happening right. And if something is happening right, his blessings are going to be upon it and multiplication is going to come. So praise God. Uh, we're going to preach a little bit with you today and maybe talk to you some and uh, hopefully impart something. And when we leave here, let's believe that we're going to be a little bit better than when we came. 
I mean, we're, we're coming together in the presence of the Lord and, and the presence of his word. And when that happens, change takes place in our heart. And that is the very beginning of it. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah. And uh, let me ask you a question. Now, I, this is probably the only question I'm going to ask you uh, that you have to answer today, okay? I was wondering if we could just get brutally honest here this morning. I mean, just really honest. And how many of you would say, I really don't have a clue of what the book of Nehemiah is about. Would you raise your hand? Well, you're doing pretty good. I'm not going to, the pastors didn't look back. I'm not going to tell them how many raised their hand. <laughs> but thank you for being honest. And the only way I know to tell you how to find out about the book of Nehemiah, if you'll sit down and read it, you will then know what it's about. You know, when Jan and I, before we ever got saved, the Lord prompted us, we knew it was the Lord now, to read the Bible. And we thought it was just a, a, a voice in our head. We didn't know it was the voice of God. And so we sat down and bought a Bible. And the first books we ever read, we read the book of Revelation the first night. I mean, the whole book, you understand? I know we've got to break it down into 37 different parts to read it now, but we read the whole book of Revelation and the Revelation. And you know what we did the next night? We read it through again. We thought it was the neatest thing in the world. Now, we were lost, of course, and we, we were dumb for God, but, but we, we said, boy, this is powerful. Horses and fire and dragons and people are dying, sores all over people. Sound like a science fiction movie to us. We thought it was cool. And after six months of reading that word that way, not just the book of Rella, we moved on to other books. Six months lost, we realized one thing. We realized that we were lost and without hope and needed God, and he changed our life. So I would suggest, if you're having any trouble, get in the word of God. He'll change your heart, and that'll change your mind. Amen? Amen. I'm going to preach to you this morning for a little while on the reality of operating in vision. And I know vision is sort of like a buzzword now, and everybody uses it, but it's true. It's, it's a needful word. Uh, without vision, people perish, or we could say without vision... We just kind of cast off restraints. If you lose the vision of your business, if you're a business owner, you're going to let things run down. If, if you lose the vision of your, your marriage, you're going to neglect your spouse. And eventually, you're going to cast off restraints and just let it go right down the tube. So we need to understand that there is such a thing as vision, and there's such a thing as the reality of moving in vision. And Nehemiah is a tremendous book. Now, it's, it's one of my favorite in all of the Word of God. Now, we all got our favorite places. But Nehemiah is a type and shadow of Jesus, and he's powerful. I mean, he's a go-getter. He's a doer. He, he accomplishes things, and he, he doesn't take anything off anybody. I mean, he's tough. You know what I'm talking about? And that's just what I like. That's my makeup, you know. And uh, so I like him. And... Uh, he was a man of God. Really, he's a type and shadow of Jesus. And he came to Jerusalem and he did a work. And he, he left and while he was gone, things went bad. And when he came back, he had to straighten them out. And I think that's the same way Jesus is. Things were a mess. He came, he straightened some things out. He went back to heaven, but he's coming back one day to really straighten everything out completely. And I'll be glad when that happens. Uh, how about you? And so we're going to begin in the first chapter and the third verse. And to set the stage for you, those of you who don't have a clue, <laughs> you need a clue. Uh, Nehemiah is in captivity with a bunch of other people of God, and uh, they're in this king's palace. 
And Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He tastes the wine and the food and he kind of watches out for the king so nobody will take him out by poison and things of that nature. And so he's there and he's always a jolly guy. He's got the joy of the Lord. He knows the Lord. He's powerful in the spirit. And he's serving the king day in and day out. And, and the king knew him and he knew the king. And so uh, Nehemiah gets a visit in verse 3 from some survivors who are left from the captivity in the province. And he asked how they were doing, and they told him that they're in great distress and reproach. And uh, they're having some problems. And the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Can we pray and ask the Lord to open up the word in our hearts to, to everything that he has for us today? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you love us and you care about us and that you always teach us. Holy Spirit, we open up our hearts now and we pray that you would reveal to us truth from the word that would affect our daily life. Make us more like Jesus. Make us a better disciple in the kingdom. We bless you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. The first thing we see here when we talk about operating in the reality of vision, not just some pie in the sky and not just something we kind of decide in our own heart, but, but the real thing is that we must have a heart that is moved to action. You know, when we get really on fire for God, we want to do something for God. We'll just run out in the street and do something. But unless our heart is moved to that action, uh, we're not going to be very successful in it. Vision is easy to come up with. We can write a vision statement. Anybody can. I was in the airport on the way over here and I went into the bookstore and looked through a bunch of the leadership books that were written by people, you know, secular people, business people. And I realized that, you know, they, they're saying the same things we're saying. Or maybe we're saying what they're saying. I came, I told Jen, I said, I don't know if the church is saying what the world is saying or the world is saying what the church is saying. And she said, well, it might just be godly principle as everybody's trying to get in on. And I think so. But, you know, you can be lost and without God and write vision. But vision must come from inside. And Nehemiah proves to us where it begins. When he heard what was going on in Jerusalem, his heart was moved to action. And the first thing he began to do is seek God. He began to pray and fast. He began to cry out. It even goes on to say that he was confessing the sins of the people of Israel. He was confessing other people's sins. He was quoting God, his scripture. Everything that God said he would do if Israel sinned, God had done. And here they were in the, in the result of a sinful lifestyle. And so he begins to pray. See, his heart is moved. And at legacy, our hearts must be moved to action. Not just our flesh, or not trying to keep up with this church and that church, not even hearing about a movement that, oh, that sounds good, but saying, you know what, my heart is in this vision. I feel it in my bones. It's shut up there. If I can't do what legacy is doing, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is the heart of individuals, talking about growing true disciples and things of this nature, making disciples for Jesus, uh, winning the loss, bringing in the harvest. Those things are great, but if our heart is not going first, we're in our flesh. Our heart is the controller of our life. That's why we must guard our hearts, because out of it flows the issues of our life. And so our heart is in this thing like Nehemiah. 
the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. The people he loved were broken down. And you know what? This world is broken down. I am astonished day by day. I mean, not just, you know, uh, going from six months to six months, a year to year. Every day I am astonished at what is happening in this world. The walls of respect, the walls of decency and justice and honesty are broken down. This city, Charleston, the surrounding areas, is in pitiful condition. When your heart opens up and God begins to show you, uh, then intercession takes place. And so Nehemiah was an interceding guy. So first of all, we receive a burden, our heart is moved to action. And then in chapter 2, in verse 2, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you, you're not sick? He said, I know what's going on. Why are you sad? You never said. You're not sick, so what's wrong? And Nehemiah says, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? Now, think with me for a moment. This would be like your boss walking up to you tomorrow morning and saying, whatever you need, I'm going to give to you. Whatever position, whatever money, whatever power, whatever authority, it's yours. He understood the kingship. And here's the king saying, what's your request? And instead of Nehemiah just popping off with something off the top of his head, he prays to God. He gets the mind of Christ. And really and truly, he tells the king what he wants. You see... The second thing about Nehemiah and you and me is that we need to seize opportunities. Did you know that before this week is out, you're going to have many opportunities to do something for God? As a matter of fact, you need to get ready because tomorrow you're going to have opportunities to do something in the kingdom of God. Somebody's going to be put into your life by, by tomorrow night. And, and you're going to know that it's an opportunity to share the word of God, to touch a life, to bless somebody, to say something to somebody that's going to help them. These things of opportunities, they pass us by all the time. But usually we're caught up in other things and we just let them pass on by. You see, an opportunity, you've got to first of all see it. You've got to see it afar off. Then you've got to begin to say it. I love what you do at the offering. Praise God. That's seizing opportunities. Lord, we believe you that we're going to get raises. We're going to get promotion. There's going to be inheritance come. The check's going to come in the mailbox. Lost money's going to be found. You are beginning to confess that which is going to materialize in your life. And you will see it. You have to see it. You have to say it so you can seize it. And then you'll have it. You got to lay hold of things with God. And here is Nehemiah. His heart is broken. He's been prayed up. He's in the spirit. And then an opportunity comes that's unheard of. The king that has you captive is about to let you go to do something for God. I'm amazed that in many of the Old Testament writings, heathen kings that do not know God allowed God's people to go back and build temples to their God. Tells me that the scripture is true that says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wants. The Lord is in full command of what is going on in our life. In this church, in this city, it doesn't look like it, I know it, but I see I'm seeing something different. 
I'm from another planet, hallelujah. We see things differently, and so we begin to say things differently. The Lord's going to change. You know, we've been praying in our church for 18 years in, in intercessory corporate prayer. I don't think we've missed but one or two weeks in 18 years. And we pray for our city. I mean, we get down. We know that Jezebel's up in there. We bind and loose Jezebel. Matter of fact, one person on the city council got wind of what we were praying in, in our prayer meeting, called up one of our members, really tried to manipulate this young woman. But what it was, we never mentioned names or anything, but we're praying against the Jezebel spirit on the city council. And guess who calls the church? You know, if you take a big rock and you throw it into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one you hit with the rock. And I was astonished that this Jezebel woman would, and it could be a man too, but in this case it's a woman trying to control the whole city, trying to run our city like, like her family. She's trying to be the mama of the city, manipulating everything, getting herself in trouble, costing the city money. She finds out. Isn't it amazing? But we've been praying for the city. And believe in God for a long time. We pray things like, Lord, would you expose corruption in our city? Would you, Lord, bring it to, to the forefront so it can be dealt with? And just recently, our, our county jail, which is in our city, they arrested many, many of the officers in there for abusing prisoners. They killed one. And they just, they just all but one, all but two, uh, went ahead and plea bargain and said we're guilty the one that didn't know they found him guilty they're going to put him in jail for the rest of his life not only that three judges one one major lawyer and two judges who and the other lawyer was a judge at one time they all three were caught in a in a conspiracy corruption deal paying off bribing all kind of things they're all going to jail federal prison and i was reading the paper then i realized my god this is answered prayer not that we rejoice when enemies fall, but that, Lord, you're doing something here. You know how we do. We pray, 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 and we forget what we pray, and we get answers to prayer, and we don't even know it. But here I realized that morning that, God, you are indeed taking care of something in our city. Seize the opportunity to begin to pray for your city and then watch God. Now, it's taken us 18 years. 18 years. We prayed off the whole city council. We prayed them all out. We prayed the mayor out. We, when we prayed for the, our city, our mayor, we, we seized our opportunity and said, Lord, we want a new mayor. And this is the criteria we asked for. We asked that he be young and that he has a brain. <laughs> that's, that's what we prayed for. And guess what we got? We got a young man that's got a brain. Very progressive in his thinking. Matter of fact, he called me the other day because somehow or another we have now found favor with him and found influence with him they they sneak in our church they're from the baptist persuasion and and every now and then i look up and there'll be the mayor and his wife she'll just be crying you understand they they want what we have they just having trouble becoming what we are you understand and so he called me up and one of his key men his the, the, his mother had had a, a bad stroke and called and said we know you pray and uh, y'all pray so would you pray for us and i tell him all the time i say mayor you know what I said, you take care of the politicking, we'll take care of the praying. How's that? Because he keeps trying to make me political, but I'm not political. I'm not made up to be political. Come on now. I'm a pastor, not a politician. And so you seize every opportunity you can, just like what is going on here. If you'll fear God, and, and if you'll fight 
the fear of man and fear itself and go do something for God. Just step out and seize an opportunity and trust God and see what happens. Then the third thing began to take place because Nehemiah is moving now and the king gives him everything he needs to go back to Jerusalem. Authority, letters, uh, gives him letters to other kings to give him materials. I'll tell you, when the Lord says do something and he puts it in your heart, he will give you everything you need to accomplish that. Now, you may have to seek it. You may have to seize it. You may have to say it a lot. You may have to run out. But eventually, you wake up, and it's there, and it's done. And this is a perfect example in this fellowship right now how God will take a group of people who will side with a passion and say, we've got a vision, and take you out of the little places you had been. The pastor, pastor Kevin was telling us about where you've been you know, in this legacy. <laughs> And uh, here you are in a beautiful location, but I don't believe this is the end. I believe the Lord's going to give you your own place. Hallelujah. Your own place. He will do that for you. Oh, you'll have to seek it and say it and seize it and, and tackle it and wrestle it down like a wild hog. But I say you, sooner or later, you will have it in Jesus' name. And so the third thing goes on here. In, in verse uh, 11 of this second chapter. So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there three days, Nehemiah says. Then I rose in the night, and I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. And I never have figured out this, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. Hallelujah. So he had one animal there. You ever get things in the Word, you wonder, what is really the meaning of that? I'm still seeking God. After, but anyway, he had one animal, which means that he probably didn't have much. You know what I mean? It was like the pastor, his personal vehicle, and a couple of guys riding around Charleston looking for a place to have church. And so Nehemiah's got these few guys with it. The third thing that I want to tell you about this thing of operating in reality of vision is that you must now have vision. See, we always want to get vision, vision, vision without the heart in it, without any opportunity. We're just out here. We're just hollering vision out in the open air. But now God has put something in his heart and he's beginning to move forward in the vision. And so are you here. Now, he didn't have uh, 500 people with him. It says he had a few men with him. And that's all it takes is a few good, dedicated People with a leader who has a vision and things begin to happen. He did not tell them everything. He did not want to burden them. Maybe they couldn't handle it. I mean, you can imagine how bad things were. I imagine Jerusalem looked like after uh, Charleston after Hugo or Gulfport after Katrina, you know, or where we were last week. Where Rita hit. I mean, we're going to where all the hurricanes hit. I just realized maybe that's the calling of the Lord. I don't know. But it's all torn up. The walls are, are falling down. The stones are burned up. All the gates are burned. I mean, it's in bad shape. But he's got a few men with him with a vision in his heart. And now something begins to happen. In verse 18, And then he told them of the hand of his God which was good upon him. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me, Nehemiah says. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. You see, 
a visionary. Every church needs a Nehemiah. And I believe you have one in this pastor right here. I listen to his heart. I understand what he's saying. He is a pastor. He's prophetic in his nature also. And I'll tell you what, the, that's a great mix. Because the prophetic word ignites faith. When you want to build something, the prophetic word comes and then faith comes. Before we came here, I got an email from Brother Eden Hopesom out of uh, Togo, Africa. I met him once. He's preached at our church a couple of times. And we were wanting to build this church up north in Wiggins. We had, we had some uh, groups up there, you know, connect groups, life groups, we call them, or cells or little groups or small groups or tiny groups of community or whatever you want to call them. They're up there, and so we wanted to start a church, and we prayed and prayed and prayed, and then we prayed some more, and then we kept praying. We prayed some more. And I remember Brother Hobson one time, I, I was talking to him on the telephone, and I said, I think we're, we're about ready to start that church in Wiggins. And I remember the words he said. He said, what are you waiting for? <laughs> and, you know, we think the prophetic word has got to be, thus saith the Lord, and then this long thing. But he said, what are you waiting for? And that word hit me. It was a prophetic word. The next day or so, I was getting my eyeglasses adjusted, and they had some people in the, in the store where I was doing this, and, and there was a, a company, an electric company man, Mississippi Power Company guy in there, and, and talking to somebody about this place called Wiggins. He said, you know, Wiggins is rocking and rolling, meaning that it's growing. And when he said that, the Holy Ghost said, now. I mean, that's what I already said, now. I got my glasses adjusted, got in my car, rode to the house, Told Jan, I said, the Holy Ghost said, now. The next day we got in the car, we drove up to Wiggins looking for a building. We looked here, we looked there, we looked in an old restaurant, we looked in an old beat up shop, we looked here, we looked, oh, no place. So we're heading home, and finally, the last building coming home, it's the last building I realize now before you leave town, there it was, vacant. We wheeled in there, no for rent sign, no for lease sign, but a small piece of paper stuck in the window with a faded telephone number on it. So I could barely see it. I called that telephone number, got the owner on the phone. I said, hey, you, you, you're thinking about maybe you want to rent or lease this building here by the car lot? He said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> he came there in 20 minutes. He opened the door. When I saw it, it was an old lumber yard. I saw it. I said, this is it. I said, we'll take it. We negotiated the price. He said, I'll draw up the papers and, and get them to you. And look, within two weeks, we were renovating that place. And it all, you know, we prayed and we wanted to go and we wanted to go and we had a vision. But when the prophetic word came from Brother Eden Hopeson and the power man, I mean, God will use anybody. He'll use a, a, a chicken or whatever he wants to get it across. Whatever he wants, he'll do that. And he used this power man and the Holy Ghost used him and said, now, and we went. You talk about having a, a burden and then ha having it in your heart and then seizing opportunity with vision. This is what you have to do. And we, went, we had just finished a new sanctuary in September. This is October. And by February, we had our first service in there. Vision. Following the visionary. You know, my men, my people, our people, God's people that we're working stewards over. Uh, you know, they didn't come and say, well, Pastor, what you went, you went, and they said, no, let's go. Because so far, every time I've said, let's go, I haven't led them into something crazy. And I don't believe your pastor is leading you in anything crazy. I believe you can trust him. So when he says, let's go, say, let us rise up and build. This sounds great. This sounds like what we need to do. And here we go. Hallelujah. We all got on the bus together. 
Now, that leads me to number four. In chapter 3, verse 1, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundreds and consecrated it. And, and so on and so forth. You can read that they had, they had people working at different parts of the wall. The fourth thing I want to tell you about uh, the reality of operating in vision is that we need teamwork. Now, the old days, it was the pastor. He did everything. I was in that, the one-man show, the one-man band. Have you ever seen a one-man band? He's a clown. You know, he's got cymbals between his knees. He got, he got a drum stick on his head. He beats his head again and he drum. You know, I'm talking about plays the harmonica and, and that kind of stuff. He's just a, a joke. He, you see him in a sideshow. He, he's funny. The one, and that's how a lot of pastors were. That's how I was. Sunday mornings was the van show. I mean, look, go run upstairs, baptize, do, 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 start the service, baptize, come downstairs, wet sleeves, whatever, you know, make the announcements, pray for everybody. Nobody prays. I pray for everybody. You know, I do all the preaching, I do all the praying, I do everything, I make every decision. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the, the one-man band. That is foolishness. God will always build teams. Even Jesus built a team. And if anybody could have been a one-man show, it would have been Jesus. He could heal and do this and do that and rebuke. I mean, he'd take care of this and do that. The little groups, the big groups, man, he is diversified in everything he does. But yet, he came and he chose 12 guys. And he said, I need a team. And he probably didn't choose the 12 out of chose because they all had problems. I mean, they, they, even after he left, they still had problems. Matter of fact, I was reading in the book of Acts the other day and Peter was still having problems. He's still eating with the Gentiles when nobody's there, but when the Jews come around, he won't eat with the Gentiles. And Paul said, I had to rebuke him. So Peter's still getting rebuked, but Peter's doing something for God. I tell you, if you never get rebuked, you've probably never done anything. The best way never to make a mistake is do absolutely nothing. If you do absolutely nothing, you probably never will make a mistake. Teamwork. Like-minded people getting together not just a service where people come. The question is, are we like-minded? Do we have the same spirit? See, unity is in the spirit, not in the carnal, fleshly thing. I mean, our minds, we have all kinds of ideas, and we, we think this, and we have priorities, and we have likes and dislikes. It's not talking about that. It's the unity of the spirit, the scripture says. We have to keep the bond of peace and the unity of spirit. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. That's in the spirit. When we get over in the flesh, we've got problems. Boy, we can grab the, the, the spirit of the vision of the house. When we can grab the vision of what God wants to do, then all of a sudden we're moving in unity. And rather than having division, we've got unity. And that's where God deposits the blessing. Psalm says that where there's unity, that's where he commands. I love that scripture. He commands the blessing. In other words, he says, there will be blessing here. He doesn't bless perfection. You don't have to get perfected. Oh, if we had to do that, nobody would be blessed. No, but when we get in unity of the Spirit and we start flowing in what God wants the church to do, come on now, God really doesn't need the church to sell chicken. He doesn't need the church to have garage sales. Leave that. We can have garage sales at the house. He wants souls. God came to seek and save the lost. He wants souls. He gives us cars and buildings and sound systems and worship teams so that we might accomplish the winning of souls. It is the forefront. It's the, it's the tip of the arrow of God. 
Some people like the feathers because they're pretty and colorful. We've got to have this and that. If we don't have a heart for souls, we don't have a reason for existing. Charles Spurgeon said that if you don't have a burden for the lost, you're not saved. I read that the other day. I thought, oh my, a dead man speaks. If you don't have a burden for the lost, you're not saved. Teamwork. Pastor Kevin and Tracy need many teams here. Many teams to where everything is taken care of. And also teams in training for the souls that God's going to bring into this fellowship. Because this fellowship will grow. Because everything is here that is necessary to bring growth. Now, you're not going to wait till you grow big to do something. You're already doing something for God. You're already a great church. Did you know that? Has anybody told you that lately, that you're a great church? God's put his seal, his presence is here, you're a great church. But you are going to grow. And that's why teamworks are necessary now, and they're necessary for the future. You know, if we wait to build things until we need them, it's too late. We've got to build now for the future. We've got to build people now for the future. What would you do if 500 people were saved this morning in this church? Think about it. You say, oh, that's impossible. Well, it may be, but what would you do? Are you ready? Vision says, yes, we are ready and we are preparing for that because we're, we're teaching. Nehemiah couldn't build this wall by himself. What if he tried? He would work very, very hard and he would end up dying. That's why so many pastors die so early. They do everything. And they may die early because in verse 5 it says, Next to the Teogites made repairs, but the nobles, their nobles, did not put their shoulders to do the work of the Lord. Why is it that some people won't work? You know, I've always believed that people want to work when they get saved. We don't work to get saved. We work because we are saved. Think about that. I've, you know, I'm a pastor too, okay? I mean, praise God, right, brother? And I've always wondered, why do some people tithe and other people do not tithe? Why, when you call a work day, some people always come, some people never come? Why, when you take an offering for something, some people give, but some people never give? I haven't figured it out yet. I've just thought that everybody should. You say, well, you're a pastor, that's why. No, I thought this way before I was a pastor. You see, I was a pastor before God called me to be a pastor. Matter of fact, that's the only kind of people that God calls. He doesn't call you and say, I'm calling you lazy, apathetic individual, and once I give you a title, then you're going to rise to the occasion. Oh, no, God calls industrious people always. He steers moving vehicles, the Lord does. Those that are in park with the emergency brake on, he just passes right by them. He's looking for those where the engine's running. Vroom, 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 vroom. He said, I think I can do something with this person. They're seeking after something. So there's teamwork. Now, so far, Nehemiah, things are going great, aren't they? I mean, he gets a burden from the Lord. Come on now. He seizes an opportunity and gets authority. He builds, he builds this, uh, you know, this vision he's got in his heart. It's coming out. He's telling people. And now he's got teams of people who are saying, let's rise up and build. And things are great. And we want to leave it right there and say, let's, let's do that forever. But there are a few other things that the scriptures are going to show us that if you plan to move in true vision, and by the way, 
This is true vision, growing true disciples. That's true vision. Now, are we going to move into that? I believe you are. I believe you want to. I believe you already have. Now, let's talk about a few things. The next thing in verse 19 of chapter 2. But when Sanballat and the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials and Geshem the Arab heard of it, heard that they were going to build a wall, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? And then we go up to verse 10, which is a key verse here. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard of it, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Sanballat, Tobiah, and these other guys are nothing more than a type and shadow of the devil and demons. And once they heard that Nehemiah had come to Jerusalem to seek the well-being of the people there and to do something to rebuild their lives, they became angry. They were deeply disturbed. Now, what about legacy? Did you know legacy that if we meet together every week, every week, every day of every week, and we intercede and we praise God and we have good preaching, we're not going to stir up the enemies of the kingdom. It is only when we come to a place where we say, we are now seeking the well-being of the people of this city. Meaning, we are now going to take souls that warfare. That's number five. Warfare begins. And I believe you've seen some of that, and we have also. I'm astonished that as long as we're just edifying the believers, and, you know, we're doing all our things, we've got our little things we do, and we need to do little things. I like to do little things, too. But it's when we turned our sights and, and we all of a sudden had a deliberate vision to reach the people of our city and the communities round about. I mean deliberate, where we started picking out people and deliberately praying for this one and this one and this one and visiting and inviting and going out and really pressing out in the public. That's when the enemy got real angry with us and began to do harsh things to us it happens to everyone some people blame the vision it's not the vision it's the devil it's the enemy of God's heart and the heart of God is to restore people and when we turn our eyes off of just our fellowshipping and our chicken dinners and our little outings and all that, and we, we begin to focus the majority of our heart and energy and money on reaping the harvest, the enemy stands up and says, I don't think so. With us, when we moved into the principle of 12 and decided to take souls, and really that's what it's all about, folks, don't get all mixed up about it. It's going after souls with a deliberate plan. That's what it really is. We were, we were just pouring the slab of that new building of ours, and we decided to take a vacation. I mean, I don't know how to work with concrete. Anyway, the contractor was doing that. I didn't need to be there. So we went off into the mountains, Smoky Mountains, first time we'd ever been there. 
And uh, we were gonna stay a week, and a guy had given me, he had a little house. And my, a guy had cut my hair, matter of fact, he's got a little house in the Smoky Mountain. He said, Take it, have it, free. So we went. And the first day we went there, we both fell down, down this trail. And we were injured. I mean, Jan got hurt, and I tried to help her. I got really hurt too. Bad. My back went kaplong. I mean, bad news. So we made it back to the house that, that evening, hobbling best we could, and we're laying down there. We're in pain. I mean, physically, we're beat up. And the phone rang, and it was my oldest daughter. And uh, she was crying on the phone. Now, when anytime my girls cry, uh, I get real disturbed real quick. You know, I get real concerned when my girl's crying, and she's crying. And what had happened was that her husband had just told her that he didn't want to live for God anymore. Husband of about five years, four and a half, five years, and uh, in the leadership of the church. I mean, just great guy. Great guy just decided, said, I don't want to live for God anymore. Well, he just, he just told her that he did decide a long time ago. And uh, I'm going to make a long story short. He broke her heart dramatically, and he committed adultery on her. And in this time, you see, this is warfare. This is warfare. Get, get you off of what God wants to do. I'm going to beat you, beat you until you get off of what, what, what it is. And long story short, the, the, one of the last times she dealt with him, she came to my house weeping uncontrollably and, said that, and told me that she was just on the floor holding his feet, hugging his feet, begging him not to leave her. It was everything I could do not to just go absolutely wild. You talk about warfare. You know what I mean? Wouldn't that be great, just beat up your son-in-law? <laughs> Put him in the hospital or worse, kill him. I don't know what, you know, I mean, we prayed for God to kill him, but God, <laughs> God spared him. I mean, I didn't know what to do. You know, after you've done all to do, you pray for God to kill him. I don't know. I confess, I did it, I did, I'm guilty, okay, I'm just, I'm a regular guy, you know, and my, my daughter is dying here, and, and warfare going on, and not only that, some of our leaders just begin to quit. One, one set of leaders quit by email. That's the new way to quit, don't, don't learn that, don't do that to your pastor. Quit by email, just le- left their small groups just hanging out there, we'd have to go into the small groups and explain we didn't know why, but, and put them back together and hold on to them and help them. And all this is going on. You see, this is warfare. Some people got weird ideas of warfare that's somewhere up in the clouds. And, you know, if you get an airplane, you're way up there and, and all. It, it got nothing to do with that. I tell you, warfare, spiritual warfare is right here on this earth. And we're fighting, you know, against principalities and powers. And so was Nehemiah. These men begin to do all sorts of things. And if you want to know what they did, read the book of Nehemiah. But they were fighting against the work. They were using words, and words are powerful. Sticks and stones can break my bones, and words will kill me too. You understand? And they begin just railing on them, laughing at them, uh, conspiring, all sorts of things going on. There is warfare if you want to move with God in your personal life and in your corporate life. There is warfare. And that's why some people get in this thing, and they can't believe what they're into, and they want to quit. I've had guys tell me, before I, I gave my heart to God, my life was good. Now everything's breaking loose and going crazy. I said, that's proof that you're saved. Now you've moved into the kingdom of God. Now you've switched sides from the powers of darkness to the kingdom of God. And now you've got to fight. Fight the good battle of faith. Go ahead, let's do it. Let's do it together. 
So Nehemiah, he's standing firm. Not everybody's work, working with him. That's all right. You don't need everybody. And now the, the, the devil's coming against him. He's warring. He's not being discouraged. He's moving forward. And we're moving on to with this message. And in chapter 5, verse 1, we see another part of this reality of operating in vision. And there, verse 1 says, And there was an outcry, a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. Verse 3 uh, there was also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we may buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our land and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. And then in verse 6, Nehemiah became very angry. Number six, if we're going to operate in the reality of vision, if we're going to be a local church that really begins to move, we've got to understand that there are going to be internal struggles. Internal struggles within the individual person, within the individual families, and even sometimes within the church, there are internal struggles. And really and truly, the devil from without is not the one you have to be that interested about. It's the devil within. Most churches, most visions are destroyed, not by the devil coming from the outside, but people on the inside letting the devil destroy them. And as a church of people, as we move forward, we must deal with internal struggles. Where do they come from? Well, James says they come from us, from our wrong motives, from our internal carnal nature. See, carnal... Uh, uh, fighting is carnal, and carnal always ends in defeat. If you want to know the quickest way to put the fire out of a local church that's moving with God, just get a bunch of carnal people in there speaking things out and just tearing everything up. That's why the Spirit of God comes in and shuts that thing down. And Nehemiah, type and shout of Christ, he became angry. Why did he become angry? Because everything he was trying to do in God was being defeated by people who were supposed to be on God's side. And so he set things straight. Aren't you glad there's somebody with authority to set things straight? That's the pastor's place. We don't always want to do it. Did you know, I'm going to let you know a little secret. Pastors do not wake up every morning saying, I'm wondering who I can correct today. <laughs> did you know that Pastor Kevin, I guarantee you, did not wake up this morning and say, well, I wonder who I can uh, exercise my great authority on today. I'm just waiting for anybody to step right out of line so I can just come in there with the authority. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, a true pastor will do everything he possibly can not to have to have confrontation. But if it means keeping the vision moving forward, I mean, if Nehemiah didn't deal with this, they weren't going to get together and build a wall. But why? You think I'm going to work with somebody who owns my daughter? You think I'm going to get in, in relationship here? here you, well, you, you own my house. I gave you my house. First you took my paycheck. Now you took my house. I sold you my son and daughter, uh, you know, because, you know, you got the money. And, and we're going to work together? No, they had to deal with those internal struggles. And so will we. Unity, folks, is to me one of the most powerful parts of a local church. As a matter of fact, God sent me to Gulfport GNI with two words. Radical and unity. Radical meaning different, and unity meaning being unified. And it was years later I realized what God was saying was that 
unity in that city is really going to be different. Because so many churches split in my area. As a matter of fact, right down the street from me is a church that was born out of a split. You cross Catacorn at the corner there, there's another church there that was born out of a split of that church. And then I heard that that church over there split. I don't know where the split from that church went. They're trying to multiply churches, but in the wrong way. I stood up in our church years ago and I said, folks, I just want to let you know something. This church will never split in Jesus' name. I could say that with, with faith because I know that's the heart of God. Come on now. And so I could say the same thing about legacy. This church will not split. This church is made up of believers who once they put the vision of God as number one, all our carnal desires and agendas and our little pet peeves and projects take second row. And God's sitting on the front. And so did Nehemiah, fighting these internal struggles. But not only will you have internal struggles, but in chapter 6 and verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should, I leave the, why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Now what significance has that for us? Simply this, Nehemiah was leading, building this wall, this great vision, things are happening. And now the devil says, well, you know, I've tried to, to talk them out. I've tried, you know, this internal fighting, this thing doesn't work. Now, if I can just get them distracted, which is number seven, distractions must be defeated. If I can just distract him, come here, uh, Nehemiah, we want to just talk to you. We're going to have a little conference here. Surely, you know, there's been some hard feelings and we want to just get together with you, kind of mend these differences uh, just just come off the work for a while. It's just like the devil talking to you. Just back off a little bit. Come on. You don't have to go to the prayer meeting. I mean, hey, look, you've been going to prayer meeting two weeks already. You know, you're going two full weeks of the prayer meeting. You don't have to go three weeks in a row. I mean, what is this, legalistic? Uh, I know you've been giving, but hey, come off that. You know you need a new couch. And the Lord wants you to have a new couch. And you've been praying for a new couch. And so this tie thing, just come off of it for a while. Just for a while. Come sit down and let me reason with you. Nehemiah told him, he said, you want me to go into the valley of oh no? And my answer to you is oh no. I'm not coming down off of this great work. This great work. How many of you believe that the work of the kingdom of God is a great work? Well, then we've got to defeat distractions. Now, we're not up on the wall. We're washing our clothes every day. We don't have a tool and a sword in the same hand like these brothers did. But we're in a spiritual battle and we're in a vision and we're moving forward with God. And we're in a race and we're running it to win. But we've got to defeat some different distractions. i tell you one of the great distractions I am seeing and have seen for many, many years. And in some parts of the country it's even worse than others. But I believe there's a great distraction of sports. I'm not, I'm not talking about the NFL. I'm talking about little sports, little guys. Around our place, it's soccer. They put them in soccer. They don't even know they're alive. They're in soccer. They're, they're, their little shorts are down to here. You know, their socks are down. The bugs are eating them up. They, they're wandering around. They don't even know. And boy, they're hollering and cheering on one another. You know, 
Sports is great, but sports can be one of the greatest distractions that the church has ever seen. Sports, leisure, vacations, oh man, got to go here. I'm getting ready to despise three words, out of town. Maybe four, going out of town. We're 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 going out of town. I've got people in my church, they don't have enough money to buy groceries, but they're always going out of town. When Jan and I had three kids and no money, we never went out of town. Vacations, maybe one night. You know, we'd go early in the morning and we'd spend one night in a hotel and then we'd stay late that night till the sun went down. We'd change clothes in the bathroom at the beach. You know what I mean? One night. When we didn't have any money, we didn't go very much. Now people, you know, oh, Pastor, I just don't know. Next thing you know, man, they're out over there in North Dakota, snow skiing. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm not an idiot. I know how much it cost. Where did they get that money? Leisure. Didn't you know that our leisure time? And in America, we are the kings of leisure. Come on now, don't, don't, don't you get mad at me. And don't look at me like that. You know I'm telling the truth. You know we love our TV and our VCRs and our DVDRs and our RVDVs and our RVs and all of these initials we have, DVD. I mean, we've got so many. And we're drinking mocha, cappuccino, double mocha with this. I mean, we've got all these little words and buzz phrases. We are, in, we are caught up in so much leisure time that we don't know what to do. It can distract us. Now you say, Pastor, you're against vacation. Never, never, never. I'm not even against sports. Although, brother, I guess I'm going to take my clubs out. You know, I quit playing golf. I just quit. I got mad at it and said, I quit. God said, you can't quit. I said, watch me. I quit. I just put it down. I mean, it's not hard to quit something that beats you up every time you try to play it. <laughs> Our budget went up. Less golf balls bought. You know what I mean? So I'm not against any of that. I do leisure things. I believe, I believe we need leisure things. But when it takes priority and it begins to rule our life and steal out of us the very vision of God, we've got to take it and we've got to say, oh, no. Oh, no. Our businesses can be distracted. Our jobs, our children can distract us from the kingdom, which sounds crazy. But sometimes people, they have a baby. It takes them out three years. Three years. Just, they're crazy for three years, you know what I mean? Then when they get the second one, three more years, you know? By the time the third one, only a year, you know? I mean, you, you know, Jen would have babies. I mean, she'd have babies, you know what I mean? She had the baby. Didn't mean I had to get unfaithful. I'd go to church and hear what the pastor would preach. And I'd come on, preach it right back to her. She'd say, she'd be laying up in the bed, you know, hadn't slept in a week, you know? And say, what did he say? What did Pastor Ed say? What did he say? I said, he said this. And I'd march up and down in front of the, I mean, in the bedroom. That little bit, little bit of the old bedroom. Just, and he said this. And he said, and man, and he said this. And he said that. And I just preached the word to her. Are you distracted? Whole churches can get distracted. I tell you, one of the greatest methods that the devil uses, he wants to get us distracted in casting him out of the church. Every now and then we'll get somebody in church come and they need deliverance, but they don't want deliverance. You cast the devil out of them, he just goes around the post and comes right back in. And they like it. But I want to get everybody in the church all distracted, getting that one demon cast out. 
People like that. It's like one, one brother called up the pastor and he said, Pastor, you got to come. It was 2 a.m. You got to come right now. You got to come this moment. He said, Well, what is it, brother? He said, I got a demon. You got to cast it out. This demon's got to go, and now's the time. He said, Well, brother, how long have you had that demon? He said, For 25 years I've had this demon. And the pastor said, Well, you know, he said, I don't think another six or eight hours will matter. Meet me in my office at 10 a.m. You understand? Distractions of all kinds. And really, when individuals are not distracted, but yes, they have this, this vision of things, those that are distracted get upset. You're overbearing. You're extreme. Well, Jesus took the extreme route, being nailed on a cross. Anything else I have to do is just minor compared to what Jesus went through. These distractions... You know, great churches are built because, first of all, God is great. The cross is powerful. But he finds a man and a woman who he can trust. And then he puts them together with a group of people who he can trust. And then he expects them not to be distracted. You know what? Those people who give in to all these little calamities or these little temptations or distractions... When we stand before Jesus, they're going to be an embarrassment. They are giving us rest in our flesh now, but in the spirit when we face God, it's going to be a tough day. Can you imagine if you have to stand before the Lord and say, well, my children really didn't serve you because I taught them that sports were more important than the house of God. Now, it always gets quiet when I talk about this. And you say, it's not possible. Oh, but it is. And I've seen it over and over again. You know, when my boy played baseball, he was, he was a great, base, great athlete. He, he played catcher and first base and did a great job. I coached the teams, sometimes head coached, and, and everything was fine the first couple of years. Then all of a sudden, somebody decided to start having games on Wednesday night. Well, we had service on Wednesday night. He played the drums on the platform. He was just a, a little guy, you know. I mean, he, was, he started playing when he was seven on the platform. Now you know, he's about nine or ten, and he's playing first base out there. And I'm coaching, head coaching. And any time the game on Wednesday night, we're playing. But at 5.45, according to my watch, I'd call time. Ump time. Say, Jordan, let's go. Me and him both leave the field. Assistant coach take off. Second string guy get on first base. And we're in the car. We've got to go home, take a shower, get ready, because we've got church at seven. I never had a coach say one derogatory thing to me. Matter of fact, just the opposite. I've always had him say, I appreciate what you're doing. Never had the ump, never had the association. No one ever said anything. Teammates, parents, no one ever said anything derogatory to us. Just the opposite. Some of them were under conviction because they were missing church themselves. And you say, well, were your, were your boy, was, was he warped? Because no, he wasn't warped at all. <laughs> Hallelujah. He played ball till he was 13. And one day, you know, uh, they began to travel at the age of 13 all over the coast there. And I said, oh, I hate to travel. I don't want to do it, Lord, but I'll do it if Jordan wants to. And he came in one night. He said, Dad, I just have decided. He's 13. He said, Dad, I've decided to uh, stop sports and pursue music. He said, I, I realize that I can't do both, and I want music. I said, are you sure? <laughs> he said, yes. And that was the last thing I said. I said, okay, go for God. You know what I mean? So, you know... There's no argument. Now, all three of my children sing on the platform. They're all cell leaders. They're all on staff with us, working with us. So, you know, the proof is in what we did. 
you know, whereby other people, they let their boys and girls run all kind of crazy, weren't faithful and all, now their kids are everywhere, all over. And I say, oh, my God, I wish they'd listen. Don't be distracted in the vision of your children, the vision of your marriage, the vision of your Christianity, nor the vision of this church, because a day is coming where God's going to hand out rewards. Last, in verse 15 of this sixth chapter, so the wall was finished on the 25th day. That's it. Very simple. The wall was finished in 52 days. The vision was complete. Our eighth point here, folks, is that we must complete the task. You and I have a great responsibility to keep vision alive in this generation. I look at it this way, folks, and I want you to agree with me in this. If we at Legacy do not get the job done, it will not get done. Period. You say, well, that's egotistical. No, 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 that's vision. That's obedience. God calls us for a purpose, and if we don't fulfill our purpose, then our vision does not get completed. And we may work and work, so if we let any of these things get in our way, then we don't fulfill the calling of God on our life. You are going to fulfill the calling of God. Somebody did it right or we wouldn't be here. They're dead now. They're going to be with the Lord, the older saints of God. They did it right. We walked on their blood and their sweat. and We walked on their spirit, on their accomplishments. They handed us the baton. Somebody was still running whenever we came up to speed and they handed us the baton. When you introduce me, brother, I realize something. I'm kind of slow, and I, I really don't have any kind of uh, agenda for my life in the sense of leadership. But I can remember uh, being with my pastor, Brother Ed, sitting on the bench or, or maybe in a meeting with him, and he was leading other pastors. And I, was, I, I just thought it was great what he was doing, but I never gave it much thought. And now I'm doing what he was doing. But yet I, I never planned to do this. I've never even prayed to do this. It's just happening. You know what happened? He handed the baton to me. Not a literal baton, but in the spirit, the anointing, he gave it to me. I got it. Out of all the guys he worked with, I got what he, you know, God will give you one, and then he'll let you help a bunch. He gave it to me, and I got it. And I'm starting to see this thing is bigger than what I know. To help people. But you see, I've got to continue what he did, because he continued what somebody else did, and guess what? They've got some young men running behind me, and they're catching up quick, and I better hold on to this baton and finish what I've been called to do so I can hand it off to the people coming behind me. And so will you. You may think you're insignificant, but you're not insignificant. God's got somebody running behind you, and they're hoping that you don't mess it up. I've got 23 men in Bible college uh, every week at Northwood. And those 23 men, I'm just starting to realize it because I'm slow. They are really looking to me big time. And you know what that does to me? That makes me do things better. You can't give up. You haven't arrived. I was listening to Tiger Woods talk the other day. Now, you know who Tiger Woods is. He's a good golfer, pretty good. And he wins a lot of championships. Matter of fact, he will be the greatest golfer ever in the history of the game, if he's not already. And they interviewed him, and they said, well, Tiger, what's this about you practicing all the time? I mean, 
you're the great golfer. You know, you're winning. All, why should, can't you just let up? And he looked at them with astonishment. He just kind of looked at that report. I mean, his mouth sort of opened a little bit. And then a little smile came on his face. And he said, well, he said, you never arrive. He's, and he's really what, what I saw in his face was like, I never thought of not practicing. He said, you never arrive. He said, you never get good enough. You got to practice. And I thought, what about the church? Can we have the mentality at least of a golfer that says we must continue? We haven't arrived? Not that you get into a works mentality of running faster, faster on the treadmill of performance, but just the fact that you see the vision getting bigger and bigger and you must run the race as one who is going to win. Many run, but there's one who wins and gets the crown and you must run as the one who's going to win and get the crown. Not just the pastors running as one to win and get the crown. We, we all run as one to get the crown. Nehemiah brought healing to this city. If you read the rest of the book, tremendous. This church is bringing healing to all the people that God will bring into this church. Those you will go get. There have been some predestined from the foundation of the world to be part of this church. Right now, they're sitting on the side of their bed weeping and crying and begging God to do something. They don't know what to do. They're upset with their life. They want to change, but they can't change. Some in the bars, some of them doing crack cocaine. Some of them are just good old people, just living good, but need to get saved. They're all over the place in every facet of society. And you're sitting here as the receptacle, the reaper of the harvest and the receptacle of the harvest. There's a job to be done. Jesus did it at Calvary, and here we are today. Here we are right now, partaking of what Jesus has done. I wonder if you might bow your heads with me for just a moment, please. Just, just reverencing the Lord in his presence. Now, you might be in this room right now and say, boy, that's a story about some guys building a wall. I don't know much about that, and I don't know all about this. It seems something feels good here, but you may be sitting out here right now, and I don't know you, but you may not know God. You may not ever have met him, really. But you know that your life has emptiness in it. I mean, really and truly, we've been made with an emptiness in us that only God can fill. Maybe you've tried things, maybe you haven't, but you find yourself in this house this morning. And all of a sudden, as you examine your life, you realize you need God. He is available to you right now. He is here, and He is willing to touch your life in a powerful way. I'm just wondering, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're right in this room right now and you say, Pastor Van, I need God in my life tremendously. I, I, I don't think I know him. I'm not sure. I just, I just have to be sure that I know him. If that's you, I want to pray with you. And, and I'm just going to ask you while everybody's head is bowed and they're praying, just lift your hand up right now. If you're in this room right now and you say, I don't know God. I'm not, I just don't know him. Thank you for your hand, sir. Anyone else in this room, just, just you know, be bold and just... Just say, I, I need God in my life. I don't know him. 
Or maybe you once knew him and you were like really moving with God and, and, and you could hear his voice, but you know, you just backed off of God and really you've left him and you're still in the pew and you're still kind of around the, the church stuff, but inside you really don't have any fire from God or any real life and you want that back. If that's you, just raise your hand. If you're in this room right now, thank you, ma'am, here. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else in here? You say, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm not right with God. I'm playing a good game, but it's not real. Come on now. This is a good day, the fifth anniversary of this church to say, I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm getting with the program of God. Is anybody else in here like that? Yeah, thank you for your hand in the back. Anyone else? Now, you who raised your hand, I'm going to ask you just to do something. I don't, I don't know you. Maybe you're part of the church. I don't know, but... I'm going to ask you to just come stand up here with me right now. Just get out of your seat. Just come stand right here. I'm going to come with you right down here, and we're going to pray together. Come on, you raise your hand. You said, I'm not right with God. I need God in my life. Just, that's right. Be bold. Jesus walked 650 yards to the cross for me and you. I'm sure you can walk 20 feet to the front of a building. Come on, stand with me, brother. Don't be afraid. Hallelujah. takes guts, you know that? But you know what? You who won't come, nobody can make you do anything. But you're right there in that seat. And you better pray with us. It'd be good that you do that. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. It'd be good that you prayed. Because it's the most important thing of your whole life. Money, ego, family, even our health takes second place to salvation of our heart. Now, are you serious about today? Are you serious about making a commitment to Jesus? It's time, huh? Come on right now. I just want to hold your hands and pray with you. I want you just to repeat this simple little prayer, sort of like the prayer I prayed 28 years ago. It changed my whole life. Your faith is in God and you pray in Him. Just say these words. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I give you my heart. I confess that I'm a sinner and I turn from my sin. I ask you to forgive me of every sin I've committed and change my life. I now give you my life for the rest of my life. I will serve you with all of my heart. Pastor, do you have somebody that might could just come? Yeah, connect leaders. Why don't you just come on up here and stand with these right here. And, and whatever you normally do with people, I want you to do it with these two people right here, okay? Amen. Amen. Ladies, go that way. Men, go this way. This way, right here. Now, while they're just working with these, I want to pray with you folks who have lacked vision in your life. In other words, you, you're saved, you love the Lord, but you wake up every morning, it's like, uh, go to work, go home, go to work, go home, mow the grass every now and then and go to the grocery store. And you just really been lacking that oomph that takes you into the new season of your life. 
If that's you, I want you to make your way up here. And I'd like to just put my hands on you and pray over you. You say, Pastor, I really, truly desire to move forward. I've been just kind of hovering.